0: I love I love that song, "The Love of God." I uh, it may be one of my favorites of all time. It's definitely in the top ten. Well, it's uh, you guys are the diehards. If you came out today, you're the diehards. So I'll preach a little harder at you because you can take it because you're tough. I'm just kidding. We all know that our world is in trouble, we know that, and I know people have been saying that for a long time, but the country that we live in uh, and and the world that we inhabit are in trouble. And, you know, a lot of the, uh, many of the well-established institutions of this world have been, are being corrupted. Um, Now, let's just ask ourselves some questions uh, by way of introduction. Are these institutions corrupted because in their original conception and their original mission, were they, were they bad? Well, I would say the answer to that question is no. No, oftentimes uh, when an institution is established and folks sit down, folks of good faith sit down and write out the mission statement, they, they have good intentions in mind, they wanna help humanity. Uh, they are corrupted, I would argue, because of the people that are running them and leading them today. Colleges and universities, once founded to be places where ideas can be shared and debated, have transformed themselves in many situations and many occurrences, they've transformed themselves into four-year experience-centric places of both sexual and intellectual hedonism where certain views are absolutely, positively not allowed. You can't think this way here. Is the, is the polar opposite of the founding of the university which was a place where ideas, both good and bad, would compete in the marketplace of ideas and the good ideas would rise and the bad ideas would, would sink. The founding and mission of these places were once good but the people running them now many, many in many cases have lost their way, why? What's going on? Well, apparently, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong on this, I'm just, pointing, I'm just pointing out an observation, but apparently we're not building people any longer, or at least we're not building enough of them, who have conviction and values. People who would rather lose their job as to compromise the mission of the institution that they work in or lead. Apparently, we're not building people who value character over a job, a paycheck, or the fickle opinion of others. Why? Well, let's reverse engineer this thing for just a minute. Let's see if we can do this. We got here somehow. So let's talk for just a minute about, you know, raising up the next generation and how that's going. How are we doing at raising up the next generation to be... Adult men and women who have values and conviction, who would rather, who would rather lose their jobs, who would rather quit their jobs than to, to compromise, and allow these institutions to get twisted and corrupted. So let me just ask some questions, and, I, and I'm not throwing rocks at anybody in what I'm about to say, other than, you know, just the whole process of, just the whole process of bringing up young people in general. Think about parenting. Think about public school, private school, Christian school, homeschool, all the very online school. I'm not throwing rocks at anyone in particular. I'm throwing rocks at the whole process, and and specifically here in the United States. Are we focused on teaching our kids? And I'm not I'm not talking about just parents, but as a society, are we focused on um, teaching our kids content, like you need to know algebra, or character? You need not to lie. You need to be dedicated to the truth, right? I'm not, I don't have an answer to this question. I'm just pointing it out, right? Is this what we're doing? Are we teaching our children to take responsibility for what they can do and what they can control their own lives? Or are we teaching them that they're victims of some outside force? I, I, I'm just going to say this. Um, And this, again, I'm not picking on anybody and I'm not pointing to any one specific situation, but it's always funny when I hear stories about how schools, uh, educational institutions, are trying to ratchet up the expectations of students to try to help them become uh, the men and women that we need, only to have the parents call the administration and say, why are you making it so hard for my kid to get an A? And they say, well, we're making it harder for your kid to get an A so that your kid will be inspired to get better, to do better. And they say, stop it. We don't want that. We want the A. We want the letter on the, pic- on the paper, on the report card, and the GPA, so we can get the scholarship to the institution. That's going to corrupt our minds anyway. <laughs> Are we teaching are young people that when they reach a certain age we put a screen in their pocket with virtually no training and wisdom as to how to operate that screen wisely I love technology I love information we live in the information age but gosh there are so many pitfalls to what we're doing and we're not even thinking about it if you want to think about it at a big-picture level I want you to think about a phone in a kid's pocket as you as a, uh, we as adults are letting the world in around our backs. They're just coming right around our backs into the, right into the digital device in their hand. Um, so just take that for whatever it's worth. <clears throat> are we teaching our kids that the worst thing that you can possibly do to another person is to offend them? I've never grown in my faith Uh, Let me, I'm I'm not going to, I'm going to qualify that. I've rarely grown in my faith unless someone had the love in their heart to offend me. To say, you may may need to reevaluate what you're doing here. And we're teaching our young people that offending someone is the worst that you can do. Are we teaching our young people a tolerance of various lifestyles, some of which could be unbiblical, or celebration of such lifestyles? Um, tolerance is one thing. Tolerance just means that you're going to accept the person without, you know, doing them any harm. But celebration of, those, of, of certain lifestyles cannot happen with us because we are followers of Jesus Christ. We believe that what Jesus, the, the path that Jesus has asked us to walk in this life is the pathway to freedom and the, the good life, the blessed life, right? That's, we're following Jesus because that's what he's offering, right? Not an easy life oftentimes, but, but the life that's good and rich and full, the life that leads to eternal life. And we, we, we lovingly want pe- other people to get on that, not to celebrate lifestyles that would drag them away from it. Are we, as a society allowing our children to experience hardship, adversity, struggle? Or are we plowing all of those things out from before them like a snow plow moves the snow, so that they can have an easy life? Last one. Are we modeling character, virtue in our lives? Are we modeling that we are passionate about following in the way of Jesus Christ? I wonder about that sometimes. I wonder about that when so often some, some principle that's so easy to follow, like when you have an issue with somebody in the body, your, t- your job is to go to that person, not to me, to go to that person and deal with it. If we can't master that, what hope do we have for our children? Now, I don't want to be Debbie Downer uh, this morning. I I simply want to disrupt your thinking a bit about how we're doing. Um, what, what, what What would our report card be for how we're doing in bringing up the next generation? And is there a better way? Some background here. Paul and Barnabas have split up. We covered that last week. Paul and Silas are now going in one direction. Barnabas and John Mark are going into another direction the camera if you will the spotlight in the book of Acts stays on Paul it doesn't go with Barnabas it stays with Paul probably because Luke wrote Acts and Luke um, either traveled along with Paul or uh, took a log of his you know was able to write down a documented log of his travels his stated mission Paul's stated mission and Barnabas' stated mission is to go back and visit the churches that they had planted and see how they're doing and strengthen them and that's what they are doing right now. So the big question that we're going to wrestle with today, because Paul is Paul and Silas are going to enc- encounter this guy named Timothy, we're going to ask this question, how does Timothy serve as an example to us today? How does Timothy serve as an example of us today? Several things. Let's just get into them. Number one, Your background should not hinder your ministry. Now, don't hear me say, it doesn't matter what your background is, you can do whatever you want in ministry. That's not true, right? Uh, At Delaware Bible Church, we hold that men can be elders in the church and and ladies, you cannot. Uh, We get that from 1 Timothy 3. It's not that we think less of ladies and more of men. We just see that God has laid out roles and we want to follow in what God has said. Um, I would argue every day and twice on Sunday that my wife is smarter than I am doesn't have anything to do with intelligence or capability. Um, it has to do with what God has said and, and figuring that he's right. But what, what, what I am saying or what I think Timothy is demonstrating to us is that if you have some, some things in your rearview mirror that may be mm, unappetizing, don't use that as an excuse to not serve the Lord. What was in Timothy's rearview mirror? Timothy is of a mixed home. He is the son of <laughs> ...of a Greek father and a Jewish mother. And uh, I can tell you, it's, you know, depending on what commentary you read... Well, ...you're going to get a different view on what the complexities of that might be. Suffice it to say that, that mom and dad, to Timothy... ...mom and dad have a different understanding of how the world works. Right? Greeks are polytheists who were really required to believe in the gods... ...and go through ritual sacrifices whereby the gods received their due. Um, You risked very little if you were a Greek and you just kind of went through the motions of making the sacrifices and talking about the gods and oh we're having bad weather this this year and the crops are failing, the gods must be angry at us, oh let's go make some more sacrifices and maybe the gods will, will be pleased, you get the idea. The Jews on the other hand were monotheists, they believed in one God and they believed that their God was the one true God and that they had, a pro- they had promises from him that included a land and a people and a coming Messiah who Timothy and his mother believed was Jesus, the Christ. But that's what they believed, that, that they had a Messiah who would come and restore them and their relationship to God. Now let me just tell you, as a guy, myself, who grew up in a mixed home, my dad's not a believer, my mom is a believer... Uh, it did cause me some confusion, especially in my adolescent years. Um, how am I supposed to look at life? Am I going to, I love my dad. Am I going to look at my dad, my life through my dad's perspective? I love my mom. Am I going to l- try to view life through mom's perspective? Because mom's perspective and dad's perspective completely different. It can be confusing. It can be bewildering. And uh, this, is the, this is the home that Timothy is growing up in. Now, depending on what kind of commentaries you read, you, you get a different feel for what might be going on culturally. In other words, um, the, uh, in our ministry and, and in, in life, there are people, let's just say, for example, that have um, one parent that's, for example, white and one parent that's black, right? And so, you know, how are they going to be viewed by our culture, by our society? Are they going to be viewed as, you know, related more to, to black people or related more to white people? To white people are they going to be considered black? To black people are they going to be considered white? These are kind of some of the complexities of just the world we live in. Well, who is Timothy? Who is Timothy to the Jews? Right? Some commentaries say that to the Jews, Timothy was a Gentile by virtue of his father who was a Greek. But others say, no, in the Jewish culture, if your mother was a Jew and your father was a Greek, then you were considered Jewish because of your mother. I don't know why, but because of your mother, you were considered, you know, you you came from a Jewish woman, you're a Jew. But to the Gentiles, what was Timothy? Was he a Jew to the Gentiles, or was he considered to be one of them? It's difficult to say, right? Uh, Commentaries disagree uh, on that. Now, sometimes, Timothy may have felt like he doesn't quite have a people of his own. He's not, he's not maybe fully Jewish, not fully Greek. And so maybe he struggled in that a bit, but you know what? I think that could have ended up being a blessing for him in, in various different ways, but a blessing to him to not invest. And, and this is something I think that's critical for us here today. The world around us wants to us to invest our identity in stuff like that, your skin color or your background or whatever like this. And and because of Timothy's mixed background, he may have been more prone to say, no, I need to invest my identity in who God says I am, I'm one of his children. And not to be invested in, uh, you know, the particular genetics or shade of skin color that I have. So the cultural context is, is, is there. And, and I just want to say, in the world that we live in today, there's all this, there's all this talk about this kind of stuff, this, this identity stuff. For example, in the universities right now, in these institutions, they're talking about things like intersectionality, and that certain people of a certain background should have more of a voice in the culture and more of a leadership platform, and certain people should should not. And so, uh, the way it works out is, for example, is like if you're if you're an African American woman who happens to have a, um, a an unbiblical uh, an unbiblical gender sexuality. Identity, then you are at the top and you should be listened to because you, you've got all these oppressed components of your identity. And so you should be elevated and you should be listened to. And if you're, for example, a, w- a white man who's just a Protestant Christian, that maybe you don't, don't need to be listened to at all. And let me just tell you, the Bible cuts through all that stuff and says no. It cuts through all that stuff and says no. Our identity is in the fact That we are in Christ. That one person is no, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free. There is no, in Christ, that's our identity, right? We don't don't invest our thoughts in thinking that someone is better than me because they come from a different genetic makeup or background or whatever. So pay attention to the things that we see in the world. and, And Timothy's example that he's not going to let his background force people to tell him what he can and can't do for the Lord. He's also a believer, right? The text makes that clear. He's referred to as a disciple, and his mother is described as a believer. He probably, he and his mother probably heard the gospel for the first time when T- Paul, uh, Paul and Barnabas came through Lystra, their hometown, and shared that with them. Uh, incidentally, somebody pointed out to me, and they're not wrong, the uh, Lystra. What's what's Paul's history with Lystra? What happened last time he was in Lystra? I think people picked up rocks and threw them at him, hoping that he would die. And he came back. I, I wonder if I wonder if when Paul and Barnabas were like doping out their missionary. Okay, we're separating, so Barnabas, you're going to go here, here, and here. Hey, Barnabas, could you could you stop by Lystra? <laughs> and, and Barnabas is like. You got it. You're good. So he went to Lystra. Uh, which is, I mean, would we do that? Would we go back to the town where the Jews picked up rocks and stone? Anyway, a lot of credit, credit goes to Paul. He's a brave, brave man. Anyway, he's a believer. And in 2 Timothy 1, five, we, we, learn, um, we learn a little bit something more about him. 2 Timothy 1, five. this is Paul's letter to Timothy. Because Timothy became the pastor of the church of Ephesus later in his life, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy was a follower of Jesus Christ, therefore that's where he put his, I, his identity. And then finally, he's young. Um, we don't see that so much in this text as we do. Um, just the context and also 1 Timothy 4.12 uh, helps us to understand that he's a younger man. It says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love in faith and in purity. You young people out there in the congregation, uh, you don't need to be intimidated because of your youth. Simply set an example for everyone in this body. Try to live as an example to everyone. Now, being young is not a bad thing at all. Not at all. Being young often means that you're full of energy, but you're empty of wisdom. Not a bad thing. Wisdom comes with age, right? Age and and study and all these, you know, experience. Uh, Now, our culture today very much values uh, youth over wisdom. Have you noticed that? Our, Our culture today, for some reason, we're crazy. We value youth over wisdom. So people will do extraordinary measures to make themselves look younger, right? In the, in the picture on the screen, the guy shaved his beard, grew his hair out, and then colored it, right? Because it was not it was not uh, brown. And you ladies, you do the same thing, right? Uh, I saw this on the internet, hair tips for looking younger. And uh, I did the same thing. I mean, when I was starting to bald, I just shaved it off, you know? It's convenient, but I also... I don't know. I think I might look a couple of years. We value youth. There's all kinds of stuff. that we, Implants. Uh, we put hair implants. Botox. Uh, we have older folks dressing like young people now and trying to act like young people. It's kind of pathetic. But the point that I'm trying to make is is that in Timothy's culture, what was valued was wisdom, and he didn't have that yet. And so he had youth, he had a lot of energy, and so he was going to dedicate his energy to trying to grow as a man of wisdom. Now, I just want to say this. Handling youth is a skill, and, and you young people, you need to do it well. Um, you need to acquire with as much energy and as much speed as you can uh, all the wisdom that you can and not fall for the traps that are set all around you to try to, to suck you into... Um, things that will lead you off the path of following Christ. For example, like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and all these kinds of things. The world around you is telling you, you know, uh, be in romantic relationships. You don't need to really get married, but be in romantic relationships, and also make a lot of money. Make a lot of money, uh, build your online, build your online reputation, build your online follower, follower account, and blow up on, the, on uh, Instagram or Twitter or whatever, whatever you're doing these days. That's what the world is telling you Uh, And you just have to ask yourself the question, is that going to make you wise? Is that going to help you to live skillfully? So we're going to see here an example of of Timothy, and he's going to pursue uh, wisdom. Bottom line, no matter what your background is, who your parents are, rich or poor, whatever, you have a place in the body of Christ, and you can use what God has given you to be his faithful follower and an effective tool in his hand. Second, now, this is a verse I just read past and ignored it. Just read right past it until I studied it. And then I was like, whoa, earn a, rep, a good reputation. Earn a good reputation. Look at verse 2. It says, he, was well, he, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So he's got a good reputation with all the believers in his hometown of Lystra. And he's got a good reputation in Iconium, which is some 18 miles away. Which, in those days, is not... It's kind of like going to Marion without a car, right? So, you know, this this text forced me to ask myself the question. I wonder who in this church, or me, or anybody, is known by a good reputation in the city of Delaware. Like, that person is a true follower of Jesus Christ. That person is really on fire for the Lord. That person is really growing and changing and becoming more like christ we see their progress being made is that true of me or any of us in this church that people in delaware would say it's a good guy it's a good lady and then i thought what about marion you know that's about 20 miles away does anybody in marion and so that it forced me to think what kind of life is timothy living that he's earned this kind of reputation what would it take Uh, for you today to have a good reputation like this amongst all the Christians in Delaware amongst all the Christians in Marion for example well listen it's not rocket science or at least the world thinks it's not rocket science on how to earn a good reputation among men just read like what how to win friends and influence people and apply all those principles to your life you know have a hearty handshake be warm and friendly direct eye contact you know all these kinds of things Is that sufficient? I would argue before you this morning that what the Bible says is absolutely true. And in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, and all throughout the Proverbs, by the way, we read this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Reverential awe of God is the the starting point to the wise life, to the skillful life. That's where it starts. Timothy was growing in his understanding of God. Timothy was trying to practice putting into practice putting putting into practice that which God had taught him, either through the teachings of Jesus Christ or or, or reading the Old Testament in his day. However, he was beginning to put these things in practice. And so Timothy was becoming more useful, more capable, more knowledgeable. He He was living a life of integrity. He was letting what he said that he believed come out in how he actually lived. And let's not forget that the holy spirit was active in his life transforming him day by day into the image of jesus christ he had a good reputation 1 Timothy 3:7 this is one of the qualifications to be a church elder right moreover he must not he must be well thought of by outsiders so you might not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil Timothy not only had a uh, Timothy had a good reputation amongst the b- believers uh, in his hometown and in the town 18 miles away but he also uh, b- but we are also to, to cultivate a good reputation as well and even with outsiders and I just want to say this to you, you young folks in the room and to your older folks too that godly character doesn't just happen I think that a lot of times that we, we really do walk around with our Bibles and we do this we just like you know if I just come to church and get close to the bible it'll it'll just come into my head and into my life by osmosis right and it'll just it'll just seep in there and then it'll take hold i would argue that you're going to make a lot more progress in your life if you sit down and you pray and you ask god to reveal to you the character qualities which you're deficient in and as he reveals those to you for me through my friends and my spouse you know others as he as he begins to reveal these things to me to make intentional to intentionally search the scriptures, see what the Bible has to say about those things, and then to begin to practice them in your life intentionally. Um, In other words, if you were training for a marathon, you wouldn't just get running shoes and just put them around you, right? And then expect to, on race day, live through that experience, right? You would, you would have to strap those running shoes on and you would have to make a plan like, well, I'm starting from zero here, so first I'm going to run 10 feet, I don't know, and then I'm going you know, to work my way up to a mile, and then two, and then five, and you know, whatever. Godly character doesn't just happen, it's cultivated. And it starts, godly character starts at that moment of either trial or temptation where you're tempted to go your way and you say no to self and you say yes to God even when you know and this is this is the hard part sometimes even when you think you're right and you think God's way doesn't quite you don't quite understand it we do things uh, we do things God's way he knows more than us his mind is not racked by sin he doesn't he, he has an understanding that goes across time that we don't we don't have and so you have to understand and, and live in the in the reverential awe of that third Whoops. Sorry. Godly character doesn't happen. It's cultivated. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. This is 1 Timothy 4 7. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, and it holds the promise for this present life and also for the life to come. Discipline. Train yourself for godliness. Train is the word gymnazo, which is where we get gymnasium. And, um, again, Delaware Christian School basketball team doesn't get very good if they sit on the court next to a basketball. They actually pick that thing up, dribble it, and and shoot it. And they do that over and over and over. Okay, third thing, elimin- eliminate hindrances to ministry. Now, we're, we're Verse 3 is a perplexing verse because, well, let's read it and I'll tell you why. Verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So he recognizes that Timothy is this extraordinary young, extraordinary young man who is really growing and changing, becoming more like Christ. He's got a good reputation in his hometown and 18 miles away, Iconium. And he wants to take him with him. And then he takes him and ha- took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now you're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just had a church council down in Jerusalem where you decided that people who were were, not Jews didn't have to get circumcised, didn't have to follow the Old Testament law to follow Jesus. And here you are, you've got this kid, Timothy, half Jewish, half Greek, and you're circumcising him. What's the deal? Well, The deal is, is that um, some of the folks that they're going to encounter are going to be Jewish. And they're going to understand that Timothy has a Jewish mother. And they're going to wonder and perhaps make an issue of the fact that he's not circumcised. And that's going to bog down the ministry. That's going to cause the conversation to drift into areas of, of Old Testament law and circumcision and tradition... When the focus, Paul wants to have the focus on the good news of Jesus Christ, his arrival, his his life, death, burial, resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, the newness of life. He wants the focus to stay on those things. And so, in order to do that, they eliminate the issue, right? They just say, operating in this context, operating where we're at, understanding that this is going to be an issue for a lot of people, let's just go ahead and get and do this circumcision. And and uh, and then it'll be a smoother, smoother ride ahead. Romans fourteen says this: Therefore, let us not pass judgment on anyone, any on on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I think he's just trying to clear the path so they can get to the gospel and not get bogged down by Timothy's half Jewish, non circumcised status. Now, some will argue. I get it that because he's from his mother, the Jewish part of him is from his mother, he's, ex- he's considered fully Jewish and should be circumcised. Be that as it may, we don't see anything in here about this affecting his salvation status. We see it could be a possible hindrance to the ministry, right? Took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they knew that his father was a Greek. And it is, it's complicated. And sometimes ministry is. It's complicated by the fact that, okay, before we throw rocks at these, before we throw rocks at these people in in, in this day, we do the same thing in the church. You know this, right? We, we have the same kinds of things. Okay, so let me just ask you, let me just ask you a question. Do you want to have your pastor seminary trained, yes or no? Do you care? Okay, you guys aren't being very vocal today, right? Yeah. Yes, well, you're kind of setting us up for the no to be the right answer, but yes. So, listen. Yes is a fine answer. Do you want? Ideally, do you want your pastor seminary trained? Yes. Okay, good. That's 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 perfect. Now, does the Bible say that your pastor has to be seminary trained? No. Here we are. We're in the same boat, right? So, if we bring a man in here and we candidate this guy. And he's not seminary trained, you know, to be your next senior pastor, and he's not seminary trained, but he was mentored under a fantastic pastor for a dozen years, and he slowly, gradually took on more responsibility within the church. He's a a voracious reader. Whenever he finds a deficiency in his understanding of Scripture, he takes a a class, just one class at a seminary or a Bible college to kind of bone up in that topic and, and whatever. He's been very diligent to equip himself for ministry. The church has ordained him. He's passed all the theological hurdles and all these kinds of things, but he doesn't have a seminary degree. And I'm telling you, there's churches, many churches in this country, churches like ours that will not let that guy through the door to candidate for senior pastor. So we do the same thing. So the wise thing to do, if you're preparing yourself for for full-time lead pastor ministry in a church, the wise thing to do is often go to seminary or Bible college and get your degree. So we do the same thing. It's removing stumbling blocks, right? And then finally is uh, just eliminating hindrances to ministry. One of the hindrances that One of the hindrances that Paul and Silas likely had was, you know, it's not like today, where when they're on their way from this church to that church, they can just swing through the drive-thru at McDonald's and pick up a Happy Meal. You know, acquiring food, acquiring lodging, they didn't have Holiday Expresses back then, acquiring these things was probably a more challenging task. So, Paul and Silas could focus more on ministry if they had a diligent assistant to help them to, you know, iron all these kinks out. You know, at the end of a busy day of sharing the gospel, they could look to to Timothy and say, do we have accommodations for the night? Yes, you do. Could you lead us there? Yes, I can. And and, and then take them and then make sure that they have food. In exchange, Timothy is getting probably one of the greatest church internships or missionary internships ever, right? Because he's like operating under Paul and Silas. He's learning how they do it, how they when they roll into a town, when they roll into a church, what do they do? Who do they talk to? Uh, what, what is shared? What, what are the priorities? How do we equip the church? First, second, third, fourth, fifth. Timothy is absorbing all this. And as I said, later he's going to go on to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So these, these hindrances are being knocked down. Timothy is coming on board to help them with their ministry. And then finally... Last thing we see, observation we make, is that your goal should be fruitful ministry. Verses 4 and 5. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decision that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So a couple things here. They 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 As they're circling back to these churches, they give them the report of what happened at the church, the Jerusalem council, so that the churches are now informed of how they should relate to non-Jewish believers. And it's really cool because Paul is with them. He's from the church of Antioch. Silas is with them. He's from the church of Jerusalem. And so they can give a report representing, you know, both of the major churches that were there. And then they were building up the churches. They were, they were building, they were edifying them. They were, Ephesians 4, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Now, you know, you've got to ask yourself the question, what would be building up these churches, these fledgling churches that were planted on the last missionary journey? Well, I'm imagining that Paul is Paul and Silas are playing a little bit of uh, Christian jiu-jitsu, right? Like mis- mixed martial arts, spiritually speaking. You know, they come into Lystra, and they start talking to the pastor, well, how's it going? How's the spread of the gospel going? What challenges are you facing? And they work with them on, you know, maybe perhaps they need help of, they need help in learning how to share the gospel more effectively perhaps they need help in in cuz there's two or three the the Jews in the city have given them two or three really tough questions that they're having a hard time answering and so Paul's like well let's sit down Silas is like let's sit down and let's work through these so that you have a good answer for these tough questions but in essence they're probably teaching them that they're sh- sharing with them the teachings of Jesus they're helping them to walk more closely in the way of Jesus and how they live that out. And the results, oh, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 5, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up as you are doing. This is always our goal, our role, is to try to be building one another up. And the results of this are increasing numbers of believers. Verse 5 says that the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. It's not rocket science. If more of us are out there, if more of the church is out there sharing the gospel, if more of the church is out there modeling Jesus' teachings in, you know, when they have an opportunity to, you know, you get bad service at a restaurant and you're tempted to just dress down the waiter or the waitress, and instead you use your speech graciously to build that person up. That looks so much different than the world, doesn't it? And so as they're teaching these folks how to share the gospel, as they're building them up by teaching them how to walk in the way of Jesus Christ, filled with love and grace, but truth as well, it's not rocket science. The world is going to, folks in the world are going to see that. They're going to be attracted to it, and they're going to increase their numbers because that's not the treatment they're getting out in the world. And that's the way the church should always be. The church should be a harbor, a respite, a, a, a resting place for the weary soul that is fleeing the world and the culture out there that's chewing people up left and right. All right, so what's Timoth- uh, how should we think about Timothy's example? Here it is. Timothy serves as an example to us by not allowing his background to stop him from developing, that's a big word in this sentence, developing into someone useful and fruitful in gospel ministry. Useful and fruitful in gospel ministry. Now, before we get to application, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna step on your toes, and then we're going to go home and think about it. <laughs> and it looks like we're going to be staying home today, right? I'm saying this out of love, and perhaps I'm saying this out of my own ineptitude as a pastor. But I'm just going to pick two topics that are big right now in our culture. If someone were to come, someone in the church were to come to you and they said, look, I'm having a problem. I'm, I'm, I'm going through what the world would call an addiction. I have an unhealthy relationship with a substance, I have an unhealthy relationship with a behavior. I've got an addiction. I need help. Go. And they're looking at you. They come to you. You're their friend. If you, if your first thing to say is, I'll pray for you, that's great. That should be your number one thing. I'll pray for you. But if after that you've got nothing to offer of substance, Nothing from God's Word and a lifetime of, of learning, growing experience and helping folks out. I'm telling you, that's a skill you need to acquire. I'll help you. But that's a skill that you need to acquire. It, again, if some a friend of yours comes to you and they say, look, I, I, I'm having a hard time navigating life right now. I'm so depressed. What the world would call depressed. I, I, I have negative thoughts all the time. I can't seem to, to function in this world. I need some help. And Praying for them is great. That's the number one thing that you should say. But after that, you've got nothing, no nothing to offer from God's word. There's a whole field right there for you, a skill that you need to develop to be able to help them, help your friend, help your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ through that time. We need to become a church that that acquires those kinds of skills to be able to function in the real world and to show people a different way of life. I promise you, what the world says it has to offer about those things is often not even close to what we have to offer. So by way of practical application, uh, um, some things to consider. Is your background stopping you from being useful and effective in ministry? Perhaps you have fallen for one of the lies of Satan and said, I can't possibly be useful in ministry because dot, 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 I've done this, I've, I've done, you know, I'm from this background, I've, whatever. Um, that's not true. That's a lie, and you need to overcome that. Second thing is, at which character qualities are you lacking, and what are you going to do about it, right? Are you going to be the type of person that when it's time for you, somebody says, you have to do this unbiblical, ungodly thing, or this thing that violates your conscience— and you are so beholden to a paycheck so beholden to um the fear of man fear of what other people will think about you that you're going to just abandon christ and go along to get along because if that's the case the institution that you're a part of and functioning in will be soon corrupted as well And then finally, what's hindering you from fruitful ministry now? What's hindering you from fruitful ministry now? Looking in the basket, not a lot of fruit in there? Why? Why? That'd be a good exercise, a good conversation to have between you and the Lord. Father, I thank you for the example of Timothy. Seemingly a young man who could probably have made an argument that given his heritage didn't have a lot to offer but I think of a man like Timothy half Jewish, half Greek being placed in the lead pastor role after many years of ministry with Paul being placed in the lead pastor role at Ephesus a man who knew how to relate to jewish people because his mother was jewish and knowing how to relate to greek people because his father was greek father i just love the way that you can take situations where the world may call unfortunate and use those for incredible purposes father help us to think as we think about timothy and as we think about what your word says about him help us to strive to grow in our character, grow in our usefulness, our capabilities in ministry, so that we might be able to effectively be tools in your hand whatever you, wherever you choose to place us. And Father, pray that as we do this, we'll be able to build up your church, not only in numbers, but also in our skills, in our ability to live wisely, for you on this earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.